struggling. Fantastic. Okay, so we've got a bunch of text messages here. Uh, let's see. We're going to start with the heavy ones first. Um, we'll go with, and then we'll have some happy ones. We've got some really happy uh, okay, ones. Here. Okay, okay, uh, fantastic. From my research, most of the funds given for catastrophic events, including famines, doesn't reach the majority of the people, but is used by governments for their own purposes and often to enrich leaders. Oof. Uh, simple fact: twenty-five thousand ch- children die every of hunger every day. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's just a massive, massive, tragic statistic, mm-hmm. right there. And we do need to be very careful when we are with, with the charities that we support to actually do our research and find out, you know, how much of it goes into charity administration, how much of it goes into foreign governments, and how much of it actually reaches the ground. You know, talking about the uh, the nineteen eighties famine in, in Ethiopia, uh, some of the some of the governments eventually started flying the aid in and mm. airdropping it directly to the people so that it would bypass the government the government yeah. because they knew what was going on. But that was right towards the end of the famine. Mm. Uh, After it stopped being engineered. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. In reference to Shaniqua Barnes Walker's book, uh, the book is propaganda that pastor is a demon impersonating a Christian for a true Christian would never say that. Divide and conquer, nothing new. Wow. Last days. Wow. Pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Because Lawson just, I think it kind of melted his brain in much the way, same way it melted my brain. He's like, no, it's got to be out of context. Did a bit of fact-checking and found some pretty yeah. some pretty crazy kind of stuff. And, okay, so, and, and this is something that, you know, I think we can agree on. This person, when we, you know, did some fact-checking, does not have a huge following. Mm. They're kind of a bit of a nobody. Um, you know, maybe 20 followers or so. Which is which is just not huge, mm-hmm. and we expect that there are going to be extremists on both sides of this. On both sides of this discussion, that that's our expectation. She's actually, okay, okay. She she has uh, fifteen hundred followers, okay. but very low engagement. Like her tweets, because I went to her Twitter because okay, I'm like okay. this person. Just from hearing what they said, I'm like this person will live and die on Twitter, and they post literally every day. And their tweets get about like how many times 20, a day? Oh, like a couple times a day. Yep. I, I'm reading right now a thread where she posted like five times in one day and she gets about 20 likes and two retweets, which is like, you know, if you're on Facebook, it's like, yeah, 20 likes and two shares. So then again, like they have, I think this controversy gave them a big bump in followers, but not with people who actually care about what she's talking about because. Yeah. So we expect that in the world, you're going to have, you're going to have extremists like this. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of the world in which we live. And some of these extremists are going to be well-educated, as this particular person obviously is. What I don't expect is that their material is carried by Amazon and Target Mm. and places Mm. like that. Mm. That's that's the thing that disturbs me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, if you missed that story, you're going to have to go back to the podcast, faithfm.com.au, and hear the story there. It certainly is one of those stories that when you hear it, you're going to say, that sounds like an impossibility that anybody would say that. Basically, we came to the conclusion this was, I guess, the uh, the opposite of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the flip side of the coin. So if you, if you take KKK as being extreme white, this was... Extreme black. Extreme black, but, like, religiously justified. Same because, as KKK. Because there have been, like, extreme black um, in the past. Like, there was the original Black Panther Party, which was about peace, but then there's, like, the new Black Panther Party in the United States, which are very militant, very, like, pro, 
you know, pro-black, violence. anti-white and violence and all that kind of thing. But what, what we see here is, yeah, uh, this person trying to make a case that white hatred is, is biblically justified. Yes. And I think that, you know, hatred is not justified. <laughs> not Other than hatred for sin. <laughs> hatred for sin is justified, but hatred is not justified. And this is what we need to do. We need to condemn the KKK equally as we condemn somebody like, you know, Shaniqua uh, Barnes Walker for for just trying to create hatred amongst yes. the people and yes. division and hurt and oh this, I don't want to get into it because there's so much that could be said. Let's we, talk about dogs. We could talk an hour about this, but let, yeah, let's talk about dogs, dude. Okay, our dog is a gruggle. What is that? I don't know, but I want to find out. A gruggle. A gruggle. <laughs> uh, you need to you need to look that one up for us. Um, somebody needs to bring up a picture of a gruggle on our screen so that at least here in the studio we can see what a gruggle is. Um, our dog is a gruggle. My best friend, and her hair is like sheep's, meaning hair, meaning it doesn't lose any. And since she is a home dog, it's a real plus. A very loving and smart breed. God knew they were going to be our best friend. Wonder if Adam and Eve had a dog. Probably yes. Yeah. I like that. Okay, so Lawson's looking up a gruggle. I'm trying. I, 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 ca- I cannot find is. this. Okay, so it's it's spelt uh, it's spelt here in the text message. G R U G L E. I, I looked that up. Okay. Uh, I can't find it. Somebody's need to send somebody send me a photo on the text line, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine of a gruggle. Or send us a photo of your dog, whatever that is. We've got a couple other ones here. Uh, somebody else texted in to say apparently elephants also respond to pointing. Oh really? Only dogs and elephants. They're the only two creatures that do that. Wow. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So Bill and That's that's how they can put them in the circus and get them to play soccer and paint and stuff. Yeah, but they have other animals in the circus that are well trained. Yeah. But can they paint? I think it would be natural for an elephant to point because they have a pointy thing. Yeah, that's for right. For pointing. They have a trunk. That's right. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, um, somebody else, this is uh, Chris mm. from Wanji, says, We had a six week old puppy I picked up, uh, and I picked up a lamb chop from the butcher. And the pup tried to bury the bone in the backyard. Soft earth pushing earth over the bone with its nose, pre-programmed by God. So wow. a six-year-old, a six-week-old puppy, probably never seen a bone in its life before. First thing it does, go and bury it in the backyard. Yeah, well, keep it for later. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing what is pre-programmed into animals. It's just, it's just phenomenal. So we were talking about dogs earlier. We would love to hear what your dog is. If you have a dog, send us a text message. Let us know what your dog is and uh, maybe. Funny things that it does. One funny story that it does. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, uh, yeah, we have a stumpy-tailed cattle dog, which is a subbreed of a red cattle dog, and he likes to sit with his back legs and his butt in front of his front legs when his front legs are on the ground. Uh, wait, so try and like, picture that so in your mind. Like laying moment. back, yeah, kind of. He's just kind chilling? of, but he's still sitting up there. And his and his front legs are tight. His front feet are touching the ground. Does he have his back butt, problems? His butt is forward of his. Yeah. That that looks so he's funny. Just, he's just he's just a weird <laughs> moron. We love him to be. He's just a weird moron. <laughs> he, he is. Hey, that's that's animal he hatred. Is. You put him. You put him on the back of the Ute, and he will bark from here to Brisbane without stopping. Yeah. Well, he would not not stop. He will bark <laughs> himself to death if you give him the opportunity to do so. He just loves it. You're listening to Faith FM. 
Positively Different Radio. Hebrews chapter 8 is where we are going, Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to read the first six verses here, Mm -hmm. and these are really, really amazing verses. And the question that that comes up here is, ask the Lord to help you to understand what is being said here, why it is important for us to know it. After you've done, write that down in your own words, what you think the Lord's message is to us in these verses. Ask yourself, how do these texts help us understand the new covenant? Mm. Okay, so... Hebrews chapter 8, let's start with verse 1. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of of the majestic God in heaven. Okay, so this is the book of Hebrews, which is one of those great theological books of the New Mm -hmm. Testament. Probably two-thirds of the way through, and the author, which I believe is Paul, makes this statement right here, and he says, here's the main point. Mm. In the King James, it says, here is the summary Mm. of what we've been talking about. So basically, if you want to know what Hebrews is all about, you're going to find it in these six verses right here. This Mm. is the summary of the entire book, and Paul is going to give it to us. Mm. So he continues on in verse 2, and he says, There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Okay, we've got a photo of a gruggle that just came through. Oh, show me. Yeah, this is amazing. Uh, this is like the sweetest little dog you ever laid eyes on. Even producer Shell's going to come in and have a look at a gruggle, and you're all going to go, oh, you all need to Google this one. Oh, it is cute. You can't Google it. I couldn't find it on Google, but that is cute. That's as. amazing. Just give what kind? Okay. I need to understand, like, obviously, if it has a name like Gruggle, it's probably not a purebred. Or maybe it is. And oh, it's probably just... a mixture of um, lots of... Well, all dogs are a mixture of everything. Yeah. Dogs started out as some wolf-like creature, and we got mm-hmm. everything from that. As they, Yeah, as they say, the metaphorical wolf. Yes. Okay, okay so where were we up to? We Hebrews were um, talking about uh, Hebrews chapter 8. Okay, so before we, before we really dig deep into verse 2, and we're going to go through all six verses right here. But before we dig deep into verse 2, let's think about verse 1. The Bible says, what, does, what role does the Bible say that Jesus has in verse 1? He's the high priest. Okay, so let's think about this for a moment because earlier in the week we found that Jesus was symbolized by the Lamb. Mm-hmm. The Lamb, you know, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. So you look at the sanctuary service and the symbol of Jesus in, Jesus in the sanctuary service is the Lamb. Mm-hmm. But now we find that the priest is a symbol of Jesus. Yeah, wow. And you can work your way through the sanctuary service and you can find that the wall around the courtyard is a symbol of Jesus. Mm. The smoke from the incense of from the altar of incense is a symbol of Jesus. Mm. Uh the you know, you can you can go on and on and on. You can you can look at the the walls of the sanctuary are made out of cedar cedar wood overlaid with gold. Mm. Now, gold is a perfect reflector. Have you ever stood between two mirrors? Uh, yes. How far can you see? Uh, kind of far. You can kind of see for eternity because you go... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Jesus is eternal. Mm. You see? Everything you look at, every tiny detail in the sanctuary is a symbol of Jesus. Mm. But your two biggest ones is the sacrifice and the priest. Mm. 
And the Bible says Jesus is our great high priest. Where did he go in verse 1? He went to eat beside the throne of God. He went to the throne of God and he sat down on the right hand of the Father. Mm -hmm. There to minister for us. Okay, so verse 2 says... There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Okay, so what does the Bible say we have in heaven? Uh, we have a high priest. Who, yes. Who, uh, there's a, he there worships in the tabernacle. So there's a tabernacle there as well? Yeah. Okay, so this is, this is interesting because I don't know why. For me, it's very easy to imagine that there is a sanctuary in heaven. Mm-hmm. That's not difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, however, theologians love to question everything mm. and sometimes unnecessarily. Why does it make it hard for there to be a sanctuary in heaven? Yeah, I, I'm like... In what way does this make it limiting for God? You know, if, 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 if the sanctuary in heaven was the size of the one that Moses built, then that would be a bit weird and mm. limiting. But what if it's the size of a galaxy? Yeah. Or at least, like, you know, what if it's just the size of the one that Solomon built? That was pretty yeah, big. Yeah, that was pretty decent. That was pretty decently big. And I don't imagine that angels are hugely, massively bigger than us, especially when they can come in the form of men. Like, So I don't understand why you find a small number of people who work so hard to convince everybody that there's no sanctuary in heaven when the Bible says there's one there. Especially when this is such a qualifying statement. Like, this isn't, you know, coming at the end of a parable. Yeah. You know, you know, for example, like, people use the parable of Luke chapter 16, right? And yes. it's like, oh, Luke chapter 16, there's a parable about Abraham and death and people. And, like, it's not talking about death at all. But then some people are like, oh, it seems like it's talking about death. But you can make the point that, oh, no, this isn't about death at all. That's right. Because the qualifying statement, the explanation of the parable is that it's not about death. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about love. Yes. Um. But then we come here and it's like, this is the summary of the entire book of Hebrews. We have a high priest in heaven who ministers in a temple in heaven. In temple in heaven. Okay, why can't we just take the Bible simply as it reads? Why do we have to make it hard for ourselves? You know, and this is the weird thing because I've studied the Bible with a lot of people uh, throughout my life who've never studied the Bible before. Yeah. And you read this passage and they go, oh, there's a temple in heaven. Mm. Okay, and they move on. They don't stop to think about it and go, oh, that can't be possible. Yeah. Why is the Bible saying that there? They're just like, oh, there's a temple in heaven, and they move on. Like, they just read. There's a temple there's in heaven. There's a temple in heaven. But this is the thing. is like, on what grounds do you have to say that there isn't a temple in heaven? Because it's like with the parable. Because I, I could show you a whole bunch of verses that says there is. I could show you over 100 places in the book of Revelation where the temple, its services, um, its furniture, etc., 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 is mentioned. Yeah. The one that's in heaven. Yeah. It's the only one that's mentioned. And this, and this is the point. It's like this makes an unequivocal like qualifying statement that is then supported by the rest of the entire Bible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like oh, okay, there's no temple in heaven. Like, Why is there? The only per- thing that you're going against, the only thing that you like you are making a point against when you say there's no temp- temple in heaven is the Bible itself. Uh-huh. Because the Bible can't be any more clear. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a simple person. Sorry, I'm just a simple person. I just read it as it says, and I think that that's how the Bible should be read. Mm-hmm. I think we should follow the plain reading of Scripture. Yes. Yikes. I just, yikes. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm lost for words. I just don't know what to say. But anyway, 
<laughs> okay, so Jesus is in heaven. He ministers in a temple in heaven. I don't believe it's anything like the one that Solomon built. I think it is vastly beyond yeah, anything that has ever been seen on planet or ever will be seen on planet Earth. Yeah. Well, like, the only way that John can describe it in Revelation is he's like, oh, yeah, it's gold, but it's glass. Like, he can't even bring it into words yeah, how have, magnificent it is. Yeah, in relationship to the city. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, there's, there's no words to describe it. Anyway, where were we up to? We read verse 2. Let's now read verse 3. Verse 3, the Bible says, And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. Okay, so here's the thing. You can't be a priest. The work of a priest is to offer sacrifices. Mm. You can't be a priest if you don't offer sacrifices. Yes. So if you are of the tribe of Levi, if you are a descendant of Aaron, then you have the opportunity to be a priest. Mm. Now, if you come along and you turn up at the temple in, you know, Back in the back in the uh, back in the day, and say, okay, it's my turn to be a priest because you know later on in the history there were lots of descendants of Aaron, and so there were lots of people who uh, were able to be priests, and because of that they used to take turns, and you could go there for two weeks, and it was called your course. You would do your course to serving in the temple, but if you turned up there at the temple and said, okay, it's my turn to be priest for the next two weeks, but I don't really like to offer sacrifices. Well, guess what? It doesn't really count. Mm. You don't get to be a priest. You're not a priest. The work of a priest is to offer sacrifices. Yeah. So if Jesus is a priest, and this is Paul's argument in the book of Hebrews because uh, Jesus is not a descendant of Aaron. He's not a descendant of Levi. Uh, He's a descendant of David. So he Mm. comes through a royal line rather than a priestly line. And so there's this whole thing that, okay, well, he can't be a priest then. And Paul here is saying, well, yes, he is a priest, and yes, he does have a sacrifice to offer. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, what are we up to? Uh, we're up to uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 3. Mm-hmm. Let's go Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews verse chapter three. 8, verse 3. We read this one, and the Bible says here, and since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices... Our high priest must make an offering too. Okay, so uh, you can't be a high priest unless you offer gifts and sacrifices. So Jesus is ministering in the temple in heaven. Mm. And so Paul's argument right here is basically saying, look, if Jesus is going to be a high priest there, if he's going to minister in the temple in heaven, then he can't go there without a sacrifice. Mm. And so uh, what kind of a sacrifice is he offering in heaven? Heaven is a place where there is no death. So what kind of sacrifice? How do you offer a sacrifice in the temple in heaven? Well, he's offering his life. He turns up there with the merits of his own blood, mm. with his own sacrifice, his own death. Mm. Okay, verse, uh, what was that, verse 4? Verse 4, the Bible says, If he were on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. Okay, so if Jesus stayed on earth, why would he never have the opportunity to be a priest? Um. Because his sacrifice doesn't fit within the sacrificial system of earth? True. Yeah. There's another reason. Ooh, what, what's that? He's not a descendant of Aaron. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's he's, yeah. he's a descendant of David. He comes mm-hmm. from a royal line, not from a priestly line. And so Paul makes this point. And Paul's like, okay, you know, if he was on earth and when he was on earth, he was never a priest on earth. He was a rabbi. Mm. He was a teacher. Mm. But he was never a priest. Yeah. 
And the reason that he was never a priest was because he wasn't born for it on earth. And this is one of the reasons why earlier in the book of Hebrews you're going to find Paul spending a fair bit of time talking about a guy by the name of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Who was Melchizedek descended from? Uh, well, he was a high priest, uh, but he was descended. This is a trick question, is it? It is a trick question. Because we don't know. Because we don't know. Yeah. The Bible says, without beginning of years or end of days. It was kind of like this guy turned up and seemed to live forever. Mm-hmm. And so we can theorize about who he was. i got some great theories as to who he was, but um, theories are only ever theories. He was not a descendant of Aaron. Mm. And Paul makes the point that Abraham is greater than uh, Levi because Levi is one of Abraham's descendants. You know, so Abraham is greater than Isaac, who is greater than Jacob, who is greater than Levi, who is greater than Aaron, mm. right? And Abraham returns tithes to Melchizedek. Yes. So then Melchizedek was a greater priest than what Abraham was, who was greater than Isaac, who was greater than Mm. Jacob, who was greater than Levi. And so here you've got a priest, a high priest, who is not a descendant of... Because the priests, like the Jews at that time, like, oh, you can't be a priest. You know, Jesus could never be a priest. It's impossible for him to be a priest because not a descendant of Levi. Mm. No, 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 no. That's not the case. Paul makes it very clear. He's like, what about Melchizedek? Go explain that. It's, it's the greatest priest that you find in the yeah, Bible. Yeah, that's interesting too because as we've been reading, uh, at the end of the book of Isaiah, it says that God will take Levites from all the world. It will take Indeed. priests and the Levites from, from every nation. From Gentiles. From Gentiles. So, man, wake up, Jews. Come on. <laughs> and this is why he's writing the book. This is why it's called the book of Hebrews. It's yeah. exactly who, it's, who he's writing it to. He's saying, mm-hmm. think about this. Mm. You all say that Jesus, you know, we've been saying that Jesus is a great high priest and you're saying, no, nah, it's impossible. What about Melchizedek? Yeah, Please well. explain Melchizedek. Mm. Mm. Please explain, you know, where he came from and what kind of a priest he was. Yeah, well. You don't need to be of the tribe of Levi to be a priest. You mm. need to offer sacrifices yes. to be a priest. Ah, right, verse 5. Verse 5, the Bible says, They serve a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. Okay, let's think about this verse. We have sun streaming through our office window, which is one of the things I love about our studio here. Mm. We catch the morning sun. And on our desk, we have shadows. Yes. We also have the real thing. So I can see the shadow of Lawson's arm. Mm -hmm. I can also see Lawson's arm. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between those two? Um, compare yeah. the shadow and the and, and the real thing. For, yeah, I mentioned for this yesterday. Like a shadow is just like a, a a blank copy of a dark copy of what my hand is. And when I say copy, it's not literally a, a copy. I haven't you know three um, D printed my arm. It's literally just an illusion. It's literally just a a, a, a um, an optical illusion that's like on the desk where you can see my hand. It's it's a so shadow. it's not the real thing. It's n- it's not the real thing. It's not even close to the real thing. It's black and white. Mm-hmm. It is one dimensional. Mm-hmm. If you look at the real thing, the real thing is amazing. Mm. Multi dimensional, multicolored, uh, detailed in every respect. Mm. Whereas the shadow is very 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 basic. Yes. So the Bible says that the temple which is on earth is a shadow 
of the one that's in heaven. So when I talk about the temple in heaven, I have some theologians who come to me and they say, oh, you're locking Jesus up in a box for thousands of years. <laughs> Seriously? That's like, because well, it's As so, if. It's so crazy because it's like the Bible is so clear. This is such that, a straw man argument. I know, I know. I know. It's like, well, the Bible's so clear that God is on the throne in heaven. Yes. And then they're like, what, we're locking up God? No, God is omnipotent and he is sovereign god he can come and go and go do whatever yeah. he pleases nobody's locked up anywhere yeah but to just to, like to have a, a literal place where you know i guess the essence of their being dwells what's the problem with that it's a throne room yeah the bible is very clear that the sanctuary is a throne room both the holy place and the most holy place mm. are both throne rooms mm. we get that we understand that every country on earth has an equivalent thereof and so, you know, whatever. Um, and when the Bible says the one that's on earth is a shadow, now let's think about the one that was on earth that is a shadow. The one that's on earth was one of the one of the greatest wonders in the ancient world. Yeah, wow. Well. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. But now it is time for question of the day. All right, our question of the day today is, why is the Bible not in chronological order? Because the Bible is not written in the West. That's the simple answer. As Westerners, we always do our books, we do our history in chronological order, whereas in the East they write thematically rather than chronologically. It's it's a very short answer. And so if you look at the Bible, you're going to find that the Bible is divided up thematically. And so you're going to have your first section of the Bible is going to be the law. The first five books of Moses, that's the law. That's what it's described as. It's called the law, and so those are all put together. That's that particular theme right there. Then you have the history. And so you'll have, you know, first and second, you have Judges, Kings, Samuel, Chronicles, uh, Joshua. These are all historical books with historical messages, Ruth and so forth, uh, that are going to give you history. So that's the second section of the Bible. The third section of the Bible is made up of songs. So you're going to have Job, you're going to have uh, you're going to have Psalms, you're going to have Song of Solomon, you're going to have Ecclesiastes. These are all um, proverbs. These are all songs. So the third section of the Bible is going to be songs. Then you're going to go to prophecy. So you'll have you know Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, you know, etc., etc., etc. All of the prophets they are all now clumped together because this is the section for prophecy. And so if you think of the Bible as being a library rather than a book, because that's actually what it is. It's not actually a book. If you go into a library and you say where is the prophecy section, they will take you to the prophecy section. Libraries are not organized chronologically. They won't take it. Well, the very first book that was, you know, our oldest book in the library is here and our newest is here and everything else is in between. Mm. That's not how libraries are set up. So you've got to think of the Bible as being a library. When you understand it as a library, it makes perfect sense. Then you go to the New Testament. Your first section of the New Testament is uh, the Gospels. And this is giving the history of Jesus uh, it, it includes the book of Acts, which you know continues the history of the Christian church. So the Gospels and the Acts, that's your first section. Then you have your epistles. Epistles are letters. Mm. And so you're going to have a whole bunch of letters all the way through there until you come to the Apocalypse or the Revelation, uh, which is a unique kind of literature that you find with Daniel and Revelation, 
which is end time symbolic prophecy. Mm. And so those are the different sections that the Bible is divided up into. And the reason being is that this was how, you know, uh, this book would, would be arranged in the East. If you look at some books, like, say, for instance, the book of Daniel, you find that Daniel is not chronological. Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 are written long before Daniel 5 and Daniel 6. So, and, and the reason for that is that the first six chapters of Daniel are all historical and the last seven chapters, sorry, sorry the last six chapters are Daniel's prophecies. Mm. So he's telling history in the first half, he's telling prophecy in the second half and he's divided the book up that way. And so this is how the Bible is divided up. It's a library. It's not a. It's 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 nothing else other than a library, and so it's divided up thematically. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.